Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. So this is going to be a really different episode today, and I want to give you a little bit of background on why that is. I've been thinking a lot about my journey lately and what the lessons are that I've learned, and in large part because, as I may have mentioned on the podcast before, I rejoined Self-Coaching Scholars, which is the group coaching program that I do through the Life Coach School and Brooke Castillo, who I've talked about many times on this podcast. So what we did for the January uh, program in Self-Coaching Scholars was what we think about ourselves. And we had to write out our story and then write a new story for ourselves. And so it's been a really reflective month for me. To be honest, this work started and the thought about doing this podcast started back in December. And I've never had such, fear is not the right word, but trepidation. I don't know what the right emotion is about where I wanted to go with this. So if you're hearing this, it means that I got it right, in my opinion. I decided that if I'm going to talk about my story, it's not going to be the watered down light version of it. I'm not, I am not prone to having that conversation with people. I am very truthful and I am in my integrity when I speak to people, even when they're difficult topics. But, but if, if I'm to be honest with you about why this is so important for me to share with you, I get feedback from people and have for a number of years that I come across as very intimidating when people meet me. And it's not said in a way that is particularly kind. It usually comes after they've realized that I'm not intimidating at all and they feel free to share that with me. And I've spent a lot of time over these years thinking about why that is. And I think that it has to do a lot with how I show up in the world as very self-confident. And in my demeanor, I'm just very self-assured. And I sort of own the room when I walk into it. And for some people, that can be intimidating. But I also think when it comes to something like this, and I'm willing to put myself up out on a public platform like a podcast, like the blogs that I used to do prior to the podcast and like the lives that I do and the YouTube channel videos that I do, I think it's beholden on me to be honest and to be upfront. And so this episode being dedicated to me and my story is not meant to be self-indulgent and it's not meant to be self-aggrandizing. It's meant to share what I've learned So in hopes that you will pick up and learn something from my mistakes, my successes, and hopefully you can relate to me a little bit better. I know that I've shared a little bit about myself over these 111 previous episodes, but I wanted to just really go deep with this. And so hopefully through this, I will be less intimidating, uh, relatable more so. And uh, I just really want to pull back the curtain and and tell you a little bit about me and what I've learned along the way. And I decided to 
divide this into chapters and just sort of make my life these chapters. And chapter one in my life is, is little Lisa. And so, so if I go back and, and again, I had this writing assignment to do for self-coaching scholars. And so they gave us seven pages to write. And I think I was not even out of elementary school by the time I finished seven pages. So I had to find a lot more paper to tell this story. But little Lisa <laughs> showed a gift for writing and for music very early on. So I excelled in English. I'll never forget my first grade teacher writing in my report card that Lisa should find a career that combines music and writing. And I think that's so fascinating. And while I haven't ever combined those two things, my career has very much centered around music and writing, which I'll talk more about. So I was this little music kid who loved to write, started playing the piano when I was in second grade, loved to sing. And even though I have three brothers and sisters, uh, they're much older than me, and I was raised as an only child. So I got very good at entertaining myself very early on, whether I was playing Chinese checkers uh, or, you know, whatever game I was playing, card game, board game, I was playing both sides. Sometimes there would be four or six of us if I was playing Chinese checkers. I just had a whole group of people. And I got very comfortable, even as an extrovert, which I am, I've always been very comfortable from the earliest being by myself and spending time alone, and that has served me really well. I just don't get bored very easily, and I certainly don't get bored with my own company. I was raised as a latchkey kid, so for those of you that are younger and the concept is really foreign to you, we're talking from first grade, walking six blocks by myself to school and six blocks home. And coming into a house that I, I don't even know if I had a key or if it was just open and being home for several hours by myself because my mom worked. My mom and dad, um, before they divorced, owned a business together. And then after they divorced, my mom worked for other employers. So she was a working woman, kind of an odd duck back then, really. There was just something about me that was self-motivated back from a very early age, and I just didn't need anybody to kind of tell me what to do or to stay after me about things. And when I got to high school, the music talents really blossomed. So I started accompanying our, our group, our ensemble in the high school. I started singing solos. I started, I was very involved in music at our church as well. But if I'm to talk about the most vivid memory from little Lisa, it was actually preschool because I uh, stayed with a babysitter when I was, I guess, five before school started. I don't think I went to kindergarten. And uh, the babysitter's son was a molester. And so that was a memory that I buried very deeply and came up actually when my son was born, when he was an infant. It came back to me, and I um, remembered sort of a lot of it. I don't know that I remembered everything. But, you know, you have a choice in a situation like that. You can either let that define you, or you can be an overcomer and be a victor uh, instead of a victim. And so I, I chose that for myself. I chose not to let that define who I am because that's the past. And it's not a matter of ignoring it and pretending like it doesn't exist. It's a matter of allowing it to be in the past, allowing it to help you grow into the person that you are, but not an angry person. 
So my lesson for you from chapter one of Little Lisa is that your early, your gifts can really reveal themselves very early if you're willing to pay attention. And if you have, and as I did with my first grade teacher, and, and really from there on out, with the exception of a really cranky third grade teacher, as I recall, a lot of times teachers will give you the feedback that they're seeing these talents come out in you. And so for those of you that are struggling with your talents and your gifts and your purpose on this earth today, whatever age you may be, I invite you to go back to that little child in kindergarten or that little child in third grade or that little child in, in elementary school or junior high and think back to what you loved to do. What did you do when you didn't have to do something else? Where did your mind wander when it was allowed to do that? What were your favorite hobbies? That can be so instructive and they may seem like they were just child's play or child's games, but there's a, a nugget of something in there. Maybe you need help from someone like me or a, a parent to ferret out what that thing is, what, what that message is, but it's there. It's a, There's a seed and it starts for most of us pretty early. Unfortunately, many of us are discouraged from that or um, directed in another direction. But if you go back and look, I think you'll find it. So chapter two, Lisa goes to college and starts her career. So interestingly, in 1977, when I was graduating from high school, not very many people went off to college. In fact, I think there were five from my high school. And I was the only one who went off to Florida State University, which was about five hours away. It's an in-state school, but it was about five hours away from St. Petersburg, where I grew up. And I got accepted into FSU, but I didn't get accepted into the School of Music. So if I back up a little bit, my choral director, who unfortunately has recently passed, his name was Stephen Bayless, was to that point, I think, the greatest influence on my life. And I wanted to be a choral director, a high school choral director, because he was. And I wanted to go to FSU because he had gone there. So I didn't apply anywhere else. I didn't, uh, you know, it's, it's so much less, it was so much less sophisticated then than it is now, the whole process. And so I, I did my audition and I didn't get in. And I didn't know that I hadn't had great piano instruction because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I got there and it was such an awakening for me to see these people who were so gifted in piano and to see, really get faced with the fact that I wasn't that good. And I had a choice and I can remember so clearly sitting in a classroom and my first reaction when I found out that I didn't get in at all, like I wasn't even like pre-accepted. They had it what they called a zero level. So it was like pre-freshman level and you could still take your music courses and they would put you in with like a grad student for your piano instruction. And that grad student was charged with kind of getting you up to freshman level. So you would be behind, but, but you were on your way. Well, they didn't even let me into that the first year. So I was not in. I had to go on my own outside of the school of music and find a graduate student who would teach me piano, again, outside. I wasn't getting college credit for it. It wasn't under the auspices of the university. And I remember sitting there and thinking, well, this is my dream, so what do I want to do about it? 
the fact that I'm not in this music school? How do I want to handle this? What do I want to make this mean? And my first reaction was, which I find this has happened many times in my life, it was kind of that, well, I'll show them, I'll drop out, and they'll be missing me. And then I realized that was stupid, that they wouldn't miss me, <laughs> that I would miss out, and that I could do this. And so I, you know, sucked it up and did the work. And I'll never forget when I graduated from Florida State, I played an extremely difficult piece for my senior recital that was the equivalent of what most piano performance majors do. So I was a, I was a music ed, ed major and our curriculum for p our instrument wasn't as hard as the performance majors, of course, but I was determined and I, I memorized 16 pages of, of a piece by Schumann. Uh, and it was, it was like my, in a nice way, it was like my C <laughs> kind of like, nah, <laughs> to the music faculty. I did this. I was not deterred. And that, that still sticks with me in that lesson. And I think that theme of me kind of pulling myself up by my bootstraps and, uh, you know, doing the work, even though the first, my first inclination was to say, screw it, um, has been a, a, a light motif in my, in my life. Some other things that happened during chapter two, Lisa goes to college and starts her career, was that I had a great internship. So while my piano skills took a while to develop and I worked at them very hard and brought them up to a, a pretty darn good level, an acceptable level for a music ed major, where I really shined was in front of a group where I could conduct. So I did an internship actually here in Tallahassee at, at Lincoln High School with Byron Smith was my choral director. And I'll never forget, I was having a particularly rough day and his wife called me on the phone and she said, Lisa, I just want you to know that Byron says you're the best intern he's ever had. And that meant the world to me. And I don't know whether she was in the habit of calling all interns and telling them that, but it didn't feel that way. It felt very genuine and it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was also during this time that I married husband number one. So in the in the interest of complete exposure today, and as I said, if you're hearing this, it's because I achieved my goal of vulnerability and complete integrity and honesty today, because I will not put this out on the air if it's not an integrity. If I... If I go to edit this tomorrow and find that I have watered it down and I am not as honest as I could have been or should have been, I will not put this out on the air. So I married husband number one because I was graduating from Florida State and getting ready to embark on a career in music education, teaching in the school systems, and I was afraid. I was afraid of, of doing that alone. It it kind of freaked me out to think I'm going to get a teaching job and then I'm going to have to move somewhere and, you know, where will I live and who, you know, where, how will I do all of that? It just seemed overwhelming. And so this very nice music major who was, I think, quite, um, quite infatuated with me, uh, wanted to get married. And we didn't stay married very long because I realized very quickly that I was not ready for marriage. So I wasn't a very good wife to husband number one because I wasn't ready to be married. 
But the interesting thing that happened in the fall of 81 as I was interning was we went to the local Baldwin piano dealership here in Tallahassee to buy an upright piano for our apartment. And as it turned out, the man who owned the Baldwin dealership was opening a music center in town that January. He was already in the process of building it, and they needed a music director for it. Well, I was graduating in December, which is, you know, kind of impossible to find a music job in, in December. And my husband uh, that I just got married to was doing his internship in the spring. So we couldn't leave the area yet because he hadn't completed his degree. And they offered me this job as the director of the music center. And I thought I had hit the jackpot. It just seemed like such a grown-up job, and it seemed so much more important, I don't know, for some reason, than being a music school teacher. It seemed so much more distinguished. But the problem was he wasn't a very good man, and I had been given some warning by some of the folks in town who knew him that he was not a very honest businessman. But, of course, when you're 22 and a job like that is offered to you, you don't tend to listen to the critics. You hear what you want to hear. So I started the job. And I didn't stay there very long um, because I started in January of, two, of 1982, and within six months, my mom died. And we found out that she was going to die about, I don't know, maybe April, somewhere March, April in there. So I hadn't been there very long when I was called away back to St. Petersburg to be with my mother. And in the process of doing so, he gave my job to someone else. So I came back after my mother had died without a job. And I'll never forget this mother of one of the students I had taught at the music center there came up to me and she said, we need a music director at our summer camp at our church. It was a Baptist church here in Tallahassee. It was the most fun job I've ever had. And it was such a blessing that this woman talked to me about that and that I was able to get that job because it, I was healing, of course. I was I was raw on a lot of fronts for a lot of reasons, not just the death of my mother, although that was the primary source of it, but to have this very easy and very fun summer camp music teacher job was a real blast, and so that was a really great um, happenstance. <laughs> the universe was at, conspiring in my favor, and then that fall I applied for and uh, kind of around the around the Tallahassee area looked for school districts and I, I got a job in Bainbridge, Georgia, which is like an hour from Tallahassee and started teaching music. I stayed there for three years and I loved that back then we didn't have a curriculum. I got to do whatever I wanted to do with the kids, uh, but it was a very confining job. So while I loved the kids, the, the teachers didn't really want to cooperate they didn't want to help. They just wanted me to take their kids away from them for 30 minutes a day or whatever the, the situation was. And so there wasn't a lot of respect for me, and they didn't see me as an equal in the, you know, in the teaching environment. And so I felt a bit of constraint. Surprisingly enough, even as a music teacher, I felt a creative constraint around that job, and I felt a, a lack of appreciation for what I, I was doing. I also taught piano after school, 
and ended up teaching quite a bit in the afternoons and the evenings, kind of to make ends meet, as, as many of you know how it is when you're first out of college and you're trying to get yourself started. Um, so I loved the teaching the piano, but boy, it made for some really long days. I remember at one point I had 36 students, so basically I had another full-time job, and that was really tough. So it was during chapter two that I divorced husband number one and found myself alone in a trailer that I couldn't afford. So we'd bought a double wide, bought some property, put a double wide outside of Bainbridge, Georgia. And um, here I was alone, had a, a, a trailer I really couldn't afford, teaching all these hours. And husband number two came along and mowed my yard and I wanted to marry him. <laughs> this is a true story. I was so desperate for help and for kind of someone to, I, I saw myself as needing rescued. So he mowed my yard and I wanted to marry him. I stayed in the public school for three years and, and the only reason I left was because the, the man that I married had lost his job and so we needed to relocate for him to do his job. And in the process of a couple of moves, trying to figure out, you know, what he was going to do, where he was going to do it, what I was going to do, where I was going to do it, I got a job with a company that doesn't exist anymore called Eckerd Drug. It was in the southeastern United States, and I was an area training coordinator. So we were in Columbus, Georgia at the time, and my husband had gotten a job with civil service at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is a big military installation. So he was doing forestry. So I started working as a training coordinator, which I really liked the travel. I got to go to three different states and go train people and observe people working and give them feedback. So I was kind of a coach even back then now that I think about it. What I didn't like about it was that I didn't have any say-so in the curriculum. So I would have really liked to have my hands in what I was teaching and have some influence over what was being taught. But I, I liked it better. I found that I liked teaching grown-ups better than I liked teaching kids. So as I mentioned, um, my mom died when I was 23. So my most vivid memory during chapter two was really that, that shift and that reality of being 23 years old and just having gotten married to my first husband and no mother. And it, that was d deeply affected me. My lesson for you during this time was really that whole piece of reassessing and reaffirming my desire to be a music teacher. So knowing that that was what I wanted, even when it wasn't easy, I didn't get in. And I really think that that rejection and many other rejections in my life have given me a chance to kind of double down on those things that I'm committed to. So it really gives you an opportunity to step back. And sometimes you may say, you know what, that's not what I really want. And that's okay that I didn't get that thing because I don't really want it. But if it is what you really want, then double down and go after it. So that's my message to you for chapter number two. Chapter number three, I titled Lisa Finds Her Way to Higher Education. So after three years with Eckerd's, uh, and the only reason I left Eckerd's was that they wanted me to move to another city. They wanted to realign my territory, and that didn't work with my, my husband. So about around my 30th birthday, I found myself unemployed. So I got a job as initially as a program coordinator at Columbus State University's continuing education department. So I was the one who was creating, I was one of three or four people that were creating the programs in continuing education. And about 18 months after that, a job came up as a placement coordinator in the counseling and placement center. So it was 
It was old school counseling and placement. And I read the job description and it sounded really good. I really thought it, it was excellent. And so I started that job. And a few years after that, I became the director of the career center. So they, we separated out. The counseling center was its thing. And then the career center was its own thing. It's, it's crazy to me when I think about the fact that I had no managerial experience. No one had ever taught me a thing about managing people. But it was dumped in my lap and I was expected to be good at it. And I remember being very resentful about that. And, and in general, what I will say is that in higher education, they don't, they don't train us. They didn't train us about for anything, really, leadership or anything else. But I uh, learned by doing, <laughs> you throw her in the pool, and if she swims, if she doesn't die, um, she'll, she'll figure out how to swim. So that was kind of what happened there. I had both of my kids during that time. So in 92, I had my son, and in 94, I had my daughter. And uh, also during that time, marriage number two dissolves. That was the father of my kids, the, the forester. And I found myself as a single parent. So I had two little ones. My daughter was six weeks old when we separated. So I had two little ones. My memory from this period, and I realize that these memories, many of them are kind of have a negative connotation, but that's intentional, right? Because I could talk to you about all the sunshine and daisies, and there were plenty of happy moments, but I wanted to share some tough moments with you. And when I think back, especially that time that I was in continuing education, I had gone off to interview for a part-time job at the mall. I was only working 30 hours a week at continuing education, and I had gone off. And while I was sitting there waiting for my interview, I was kind of paying attention to how they were processing the other applicants for whatever this job was. I was just like a part-time salesperson. And then I got in there, and it was a very different experience. It was very kind of cut and dry. There was didn't seem like there was any hope. Like, it was very weird. And I was perplexed by that. And I got back to my office in continuing education. And my secretary, I had a secretary, and then the office manager were talking about me in my secretary's office, which is right next to me. And the office manager had called that store because she happened to also work there part-time. She called and told them terrible things about me and that they should never hire me. And they were talking about me in the doorway. Just horrible things about me. And I waited until they finished. I, or I may have actually stuck my head in the door and let them know that I was hearing it. And I, I got in my secretary's office and I closed the door. And I'll never forget, she said to me, well, I'm sorry you heard it, but I don't apologize for saying it because I, believe, I think all those things are true about you. That was a really tough one. I had I was so young then, and I really struggled with that. And and this woman who was much older than me, probably twenty years older than me, was just so very very hateful. Um, I can't say that I handled it very well, but I did learn a lot about you know coworkers and you know the work environment and duplicitousness and those kinds of things. So my lesson for you during this time period was that with all these job and career changes, I learned kind of to take the good and leave the bad. So as I left, you know, the, the, music, the, the music center and then I went into elementary school and then I left that and went into training. I left that and went into higher education first as a program coordinator and then into career services. 
So there were a lot of changes in a really short period of time as I kind of tried to find my way around. But here's the thing, your career isn't supposed to be linear. So don't set yourself up for disappointment by thinking that it's going to be. I think that linear careers are very boring, actually. So if it seems like your your career uh, path looks more like a very crooked, like that street in San Francisco, that's okay, because it really is more interesting that way, I think. All right, so chapter four, Lisa goes back to school and changes jobs. So here I am, single mom little ones, two preschoolers. Not, neither of them are in school yet. So I go back to get my master's degree. I did not have a master's degree at the time. I was a director of a career center and that was very unusual. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to get a job anywhere else as a career center director without that master's. So in 95, I went back. So I finished my master's in 1998 and finished it with a 4.0 degree. And I remember so clearly at some point saying to myself, because I started getting A's and A's and A's, and I thought, you know what, my goal is now to make a 4.0 in grad school. And so that became my, my focus. And it was not easy. And it's been something that I've been able to share with clients over the years when they've thought about going back to school and how will they handle it with their families and all of that. And I tell them my story, not to say, you know, hey, look at me, but to say, if I can do it, so can you. Because you can make time for what you want to make time for. And you make, you figure out how to make it work. And I loved being in graduate school. I was so, I was so thankful to be there and I enjoyed it so much. It was hard, but I loved it. So after I finished my master's in 1998, a year later, I started looking for a new opportunity and I applied. I had an interview in New Jersey. I had phone interview in in New York and a phone interview in Ohio and shortly after I accepted the job that I that I ended up taking I got a, a call from Sacramento California and I told them no so I was looking all over the country I ended up at Truman State University which was a thousand miles away from where I had lived and kind of everything and everyone I knew I was moving to a very rural area very different kind of school than I had been working at didn't know a soul in the entire state, not just in the city I was moving into. And shortly after I moved there, I married husband number three, who was the love of my life. And we bought a beautiful home in Kirksville. And so my most vivid memory from that period was that home, because I remember driving by it after we had bought it, but we hadn't moved in yet. And I would tear up. We had to go buy it to go to the YMCA to pick up our kids every day after school. And I would tear up just looking at that house. I was so proud of that house. And I'd owned a, a couple of homes before that, but nothing like this home. I was just so, so, so proud of that home. So my lesson for you in chapter four of Lisa's life is that you can set a goal and achieve it, right? So one of the things we talk about in, in the coaching program that I'm in is that you can put anything you want in your R line, which is your results line. Any result you want, you can achieve it. And so for me during this period, it was that 4.0. It was, you know, moving to a new area. It was buying a home and I made it happen. And, and you can do that too. You just have to decide and then not say things or do things that contradict what you've decided. All right, chapter five, Lisa starts her own businesses and leaves higher education. 
So I started a jewelry business in, in I think about 2000 and I don't know, six, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. I was really successful with it. So that was kind of my extra thing. Somewhere along the way, I also started a company called LEK Presentations, which became LEK Consultants, which became Exclusive Career Coaching. So I always had my hand in doing presentations and trainings for companies. And then eventually I got my resume certification and then I became a certified coach. So that all just sort of built on one another. And then 2009, on June 19th, um, the shit hit the fan in my life. Husband number three, I found out that what he was doing uh, was pedophilia and child pornography. He had to go. He had to go. And so living in a very small town when this happened, it, and it was on the news, it was in the paper, it was on the camp- in the campus paper of the school that I worked at, it was incredibly painful to have my life played out in, in that way and not wondering if people were talking about me over their dinners, but knowing that they were. And while most people were very uh, compassionate and understanding and caring, not everyone was. But I'll tell you something inside of me the day that it happened. I remember saying, you're going to find the good that's coming out of this situation. You're going to look for it and you're going to find it. And I did. I focused on the people who were kind to me, who, who took care of things for us, who paid attention and helped my children through this difficult time. Lots of things big and small, but I really focused on that. And I remember, I remember there would be waves of this coming, right? So things would kind of calm down and I'd feel like my life was maybe going to be normal again. And one day there was a big thing in the paper, in the, on the campus newspaper, and it happened to coincide with our career fair. So all these employers were on campus, and they were all picking up the newspaper. And there's my life uh, through my, my ex-husband, or soon-to-be ex-husband, splattered all over the, the newspaper. And I remember that day, I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. And I was supposed to be kind of mining the fort over it in the student union with all the interviews that were going on for the career fair. And I I took my leave. Uh, Everything was okay. Nothing was going to go wrong if I left. And I went over to the office, and and no one was there. The office was closed. And I just had a little mini meltdown. And I, I ended up just going home. And I remember crying. It was raining really hard that day. And I remember thinking good, it's raining, they won't notice. I can kind of pull the umbrella down and my face is wet and they won't notice and my, my, my makeup's gone, it's run. But I would have some of those days, sometimes they were in the shower, sometimes they were in a, you know, a closet, uh, a closed office, wherever it might be. But uh, so incredibly difficult. But I, I recognized then that everything happens for a reason, and I didn't know what that reason was, and I, and I do now. But I just invite you to see the good in any situation in your life. It is available to you. You don't have to look at the bad. You don't have to catastrophize it, even when it really is a catastrophe. See if you can find some good in it. All right, so then chapter six, Lisa moves on from a huge tragedy. So I left Truman in 2011. I sold my home in 2012. I married husband number four in 2013. 
I moved to Florida in 2013 with husband number four. Bought a home in Florida in 2014. Divorced husband number four in 2015. He, um, he didn't stop dating other people. And I found out about it in 2014. And so that was the end of the relationship. He was basically hiding our marriage from, from people and from the world. Here's my lesson from this situation is I can't regret being married to him because I got some good stuff out of the marriage. And, and if this sounds um, materialistic, I have to look at the good in it. So I got some good stuff, <laughs> got some furniture, I got I got some stuff. But I focused on kind of how I grew through that relationship. And I'm such a different person now than I was then. And, and I can look back on that with no no negative emotion because I'm not that person anymore. So today, chapter seven, I've got a successful business. I've got this podcast. I've got a wide circle of friends. I spent three weeks in Italy, in Greece this past year, which was amazing with my daughter, Chloe. My children, my son just got married in September, have a lovely daughter-in-law. And I, my daughter, I couldn't be prouder of her. It's just me and my dog, Piper, now hanging out here. And I'm back in self-coaching scholars. So I'm really working on myself and, and, and getting, the, getting the coaching from Brooke and her people that I so desperately need. So my most vivid memory of late that I wanted to share with you was the process of kind of navigating the end to some friendships. So... I've never had more friends than I do here in Tallahassee, and I certainly never had more wonderful friends. In the beginning, my standards weren't quite as high, or maybe I should more correctly say that I didn't know what I didn't know. And as people kind of re revealed their nature to me, I recognized that they were not people that I wanted in my life. And so I kind of completed some relationships with some people uh, for various reasons, but they just weren't the people that I wanted in my life. So my lesson for you is it may take 60 years <laughs> like it did me, but if you keep at it, you're going to be where you want to be in your life and you're going to be in a place where you're in gratitude. You're going to be positive about your life and very optimistic about your future. And it is available to you much earlier than the 60 years that it took me. I can promise you that. So what's going on in the future? I'm building a six-figure business. I plan to spend an extended period of time in Italy in 2021. I haven't decided exactly how long I want to be gone. I'll still keep my business going and my podcast, but I want to live in that country. I am looking for my soulmate, and uh, I believe he's coming this year. I am working towards my goal weight and have lost quite a bit of weight and uh, will continue that process. I am addressing some health issues with my back and with my gut, working on that. I plan to buy a home after I get back from Italy and a car, a new car, figuring out how to scale my business up from six figures to seven figures. Sky's the limit. And continuing with, um, with coaching, being coached, but also I would like to become a life coach so that I can incorporate those tools even more so into my practice than I do now. So here are my takeaways that I would offer you if you've been kind enough to indulge me in this life story this far. Here's the payoff for you. First of all, sometimes your gifts shine through at a very early age if you're willing to pay attention. But if they didn't, and then maybe they haven't yet, that's okay too. 
Don't beat yourself up, but maybe it's just a matter of paying a little more attention. Try that out. Number two, a perfect life is unrealistic and highly overrated. It's what you do with the hand you're dealt that matters. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to hear that one a couple of times here. Number three, easy and happy are not the goals in this life. So if you think that they are, I'm here to tell you, guess what? It's not true. It's supposed to be hard and parts are supposed to suck. My uh, coach talks about it being 50-50, like half of life is ass is what she says. The problem comes in when you think something has gone horribly wrong when you aren't happy. Just let yourself be unhappy. It's okay. There's nothing gone wrong. Number four, you can't change your past, but you can change your version of the past to something that serves you better. So are you painting yourself as a victim because of what's happened to you in, in your past or, or what didn't happen in your past? Why don't you rewrite that story where you have a more favorable outcome that serves you better? Number five, just because you've never done something before is no excuse not to do it now. There's got to be a first time for everything. Your brain is going to for sure tell you that the new thing is going to kill you, that you're going to die, but it's wrong. Give it a try. Be willing to fail by, by making a valiant effort as opposed to failing by not trying. Number six, say it out loud. Whatever your goal is, how the more audacious it is, the louder you should say it. Have an accountability partner or a group of accountability partners. Uh, I have a mastermind group and we hold each other to the fire. Allow yourself to dream and dream big. And if you're not just at least a little bit terrified of your dream, then you're not dreaming big enough. Number seven, make yourself the hero of your own life. Don't play a minor supporting role. I feel like I did that for a very long time in my life. I saw myself as a minor character in my own life and I have firmly taken the position of the hero and the main character in my own life and it's made all the difference. Number eight, surround yourself with people who support and encourage you and be willing to complete those relationships that no longer serve you or maybe they never did serve you. Really be willing and think of it as a completion. You don't have to break up with somebody. You don't have to have a fight. You're just ready to complete that relationship because it no longer serves you. Next to the last, number nine, you don't have to hate a situation or a person to move on. You can love your job and still decide it's time to leave. You can love your spouse or a friend and you can still decide it's time to move on. The energy will be much better if you don't hate that situation, I promise. And then number 10, Nietzsche really got it right when he said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Decide that what you're going through right now is for your good not the cosmos is out to get you, then learn and grow through that experience so that you can evolve to the next better, next best version of yourself. I know that's what I certainly have done. Well, hopefully this has not been self-indulgent. Hopefully you have found this interesting. I have been vulnerable for you. I haven't cried. <laughs> I wondered if I would cry because I'm a, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but uh, I, uh, I am curious to listen to this tomorrow when I put it through the edit um, and and see um, how genuine and authentic I've been. But again, if you're hearing it, it's because I felt 
that I was authentic and that this needed to go out, that I had not been self-indulgent. And I will see you next week, guys. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.